Marvel eyes gender swap for Fantastic Four character. Christopher Nolan says no to James Bond. Taika only did Thor for the money. And the box office is weird. All of that and more coming up. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Jay Scotty St. Clair, and no, your ears do not deceive you if you are accustomed to viewing us every week. I apologize for the audio only nature of this episode, but because Matthew Carroll, our fearless leader, is out, uh, we don't have video, but we still have a bunch of news to talk about. And of course, I can't do that alone. So I am joined by the likes of the lovely Haley Hobbs. What's happening, Haley? <laughs> oh, not much. Just glad that the three of us can muster together and get this done tonight. Agreed, agreed. And also our resident news hound, he, you know, every week he's down there in the gutters that are our the gutters that are our twenty four hour <laughs> news cycle here. Mr. Jay Sisson, what's happening, Jay? Uh, yeah, that's a good way of describing it uh, most <laughs> of the time. But yeah, I'm doing well and glad to be uh, coming off this Thanksgiving holiday where the news is light, but there's still some nuggets that came to the surface. So glad to be here to talk about it all. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it and talk about some of these uh, tasty nuggets and morsels. You know, it is Thanksgiving and, you know, Leftovers are on the brain you're, you're here. You're so. making me think of like raccoons in the gutters <laughs> okay. getting morsels. I don't okay. know. <laughs> like like raccoon jays down there getting the news. <laughs> Our very own trash panda. This is kind of kind of on topic, but kind of off topic. I have a raccoon that's been visiting my garbage can every night, and I keep <laughs> catching him in the act, and he gets into my garbage can and like sits inside of it and eats food and then gets out, and it's making me so angry. But I don't know how to deal with it because he's adorable. Okay. He's like very overweight, and he, so he like cute. clicks on my motion sensor light or whatever, and I see him out there, and I'm like, I'm mad, but I'm like, go ahead and get yourself a French fry. You know? <laughs> with your little tiny hands. <laughs> Um, my favorite raccoon thing is that in Dutch, they're called Vosperen because they wash their food. Vosperen. <laughs> Interesting. Vosperen. Oh, I like it. Anyway. There's your uh, raccoon update for the week. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we don't have like a lot of news. We just start talking about whatever. <laughs> hey, you learn something new every day. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, moving away from rodent talk, let's talk about some Marvel stuff. And we do have... Yet another Fantastic Four casting rumor swirling about. And this time we've got Anya Taylor-Joy of The Queen's Gambit and Last Night in Soho fame is potentially going to fill a major role for Matt Shackman's upcoming Fantastic Four movie. Marvel is reportedly looking to do a gender swap with Taylor-Joy for The Silver Surfer. In comics, the character is usually connected with the planet-eating maniac Galactus and serves as his herald to the planets he's about to decimate. Many news outlets are calling the character a villain. Do we think any of this is true? Yeah, the Fantastic Four rumors are abound and they are <laughs> lighting up the internet. And this is one that people have strong opinions about. Um, bringing in a Silver Surfer uh, type character. This is kind of a stretch of a rumor here a little bit. Like 
the I think the report that Anya Taylor Joy is being eyed for this movie in a villain role is definitely legit. That does not mean that she's signed, but it does mean that Marvel and her people are talking and they're trying to kind of figure something out. So people are kind of putting the pieces together and saying that they think that this is a Silver Surfer role, which makes sense. Um, I really like Anya Taylor Joy and everything that she's been in. Uh, I think she um, she was in a movie that first came under my radar called Thoroughbreds uh, mm. a few years ago. It was like one of her first breakout roles, which was great. And like she got, she got on my radar then. And then um, I was a huge fan of the Queen's Gambit um, and last last night in Soho um, and uh, the menu. I thought like that movie had some problems, but she was great in it. Uh, so I I really like the idea of her bringing um kind of a different feel to this role again it is it is we can't deny the fact that it is sort of a controversial choice the gender swap and stuff does seem to get people talking um (laughs) you know uh, or at least uh kind of pointing out that maybe it doesn't necessarily match up with the character that they envisioned in their mind um but personally like i i'm on board for uh, we've seen marvel take characters change them change their origins do different things with them and if the talent is there to me like that connects the dots enough for me to be excited so um, i find myself really intrigued by this news yeah it's interesting i think that the reaction is so strong because silver surfer has such a long history in the comics and because the fantastic four is such an extremely dear character group to a lot of people who read the comics because they've been around for so so long so I understand the initial like shock reaction the reasoning it doesn't really play well in today's society so I think it could be cool I kind of like that you're saying yeah maybe she's being eyed for something but maybe it's not this because the Silver yeah. Surfer really isn't a villain. When I kept reading that, I was like, well, that's not really accurate technically. And so uh, if they're just spinning a web out of absolutely nothing and trying to make these dots connect when they really don't, that would be okay too. I think she would be great in a different villain role as well. She's really a great rising star. Um, would ha- be happy to see her do it, do anything in the MCU. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Anya Taylor-Joy is immensely talented. Um, everything that I've seen her in, even if the material itself is not the best, she always elevates everything that she's been in. And she first came to my attention in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Split, and she was great in that, going toe-to-toe with James McAvoy. And then she followed that up with Glass, which was not nearly as good, but again, she was a standout in that. So, you know, I've never been one for playing into these strong reactions, especially when nothing's been confirmed. But Silver Surfer is an interesting character because I think Marvel might be discounting a little bit just how indelible this character is. Like, granted, like when you think about a comic book character, you think about a Marvel character specifically, Silver Surfer may not be the first one to come to mind. But I think about like the iconography of that character and like even me growing up, even though I didn't like have comic books in the house, like my uh, dad had the Joe Tribbiani's uh, album Surfing with the Aliens. So like I was like, oh, there's Silver Surfer, such an iconic character. So cool. It just like resonates within you. So in that sense, being a fan of the Silver Surfer, like I'm open to whatever, you know, Matt Shackman's vision is here. Is here. I, I really trust him. He proved himself with uh, WandaVision. But I also think about like the multiverse saga. And if this is if we are doing a gender swapped uh, Silver Surfer, maybe that's just for now. And we will have somewhere down the road the opportunity to see the, the the version that we're all a little bit more familiar with and maybe 
um, a little more connected to. Um, but I do think the villain um, angle that you bring up, Haley, is interesting because this would be like two for two with like live action adaptations where we're having like Silver Surfer by and large being played as this villainous character, which is, you know, it is part of his comic book origins, but he's much more of a hero than he ever has been a villain. Mm-hmm. All right. So jumping ahead, we got a little Christopher Nolan talk. Uh, so Christopher Nolan, we will not be seeing him heading up any James Bond movies in the near future. When the director was reportedly attached to a project in July, many fans, including us, were thrilled by the news for the famed filmmaker to take on Britain's greatest agent with a license to kill. While promoting Oppenheimer, Nolan confirmed that the rumors had no legs, unfortunately, in his words. Who would be a good choice to pick up the 007 world after Daniel Craig's epic run? I don't have any good director choices, but as I was thinking about this news today, we were all like, yes, Christopher Nolan, he can totally do James Bond. And then I was thinking about James Bond movies, and um, they don't necessarily get better the longer runtime they have. Mm. And since Christopher (laughs) Nolan is known for really long runtimes on his movie, and I think we saw that in the Dark Knight trilogy. I think we saw, you know, the runtimes of those kind of kill, not kill those movies because they're extremely well liked Mm -hmm. but add to some of the negative points of them and so i I don't know that 007 is quite the vibe for christopher nolan at the end of the day i think he could do like a really good one-off of it maybe um a reinvention of the universe but it sounds like that's not what they're doing anyway so it's kind of a bummer but it also kind of makes sense to me Yeah, I don't know if Nolan is quite in the vein of wanting to do franchise-type, trilogy-type things anyway. Like, after The Dark Knight, all of his movies have not been that, right? I mean, we've seen these very, like, standalone projects that he pours a lot into that very much try to tie up all the loose ends at the end that do not leave room for a sequel. And I think that's just kind of what we have to expect from him now, is that he is not going to be the kind of guy that you're going to call up and say that we want you to do a movie and then we want you to leave it open-ended because we might want you to revisit it later or we want you to do a trilogy or a franchise or anything like that. It just seems like he's kind of moving away from that. And yeah, as you were saying that, Haley, that's a great point because I'm I'm thinking about sitting in the theater watching like a three and a half hour James Bond movie and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) this the snarky back and forth (laughs) between James Bond and the villains. It's like, can we (laughs) can we get to the point? So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great point. But but yeah, I mean, I'm always interested to see what Nolan does. um, But the more and more you think about this, yeah, the the less it does make sense for just kind of what we've come to know, know Nolan as in Hollywood. Uh, to both of your points regarding the runtime, I haven't rewatched No Time to Die since I saw it in the theaters, which I loved it, exactly. but it was so long. I just, I cannot, and I know Jay, you're not a rewatcher anyway, but I typically, I, I typically rewatch a movie within, you know, a very short amount of time of seeing it the first time around because rewatchability is a factor for me when I, when I think about how much I enjoy a movie. But yeah, Christopher Nolan, um, I think on paper, he makes a lot of sense. You know, he is, uh. He has both American and uh, British citizenship. So I think uh, the fact that we have this character of James Bond, like he is treasured by the Brits. But, you know, here across the pond, we like him a lot as well. So, yeah, again, uh, Christopher Nolan is obviously a very talented filmmaker, uh, has an eye for action, weaves a great mystery. Uh, I just generally really like his movies. But I don't really think that as I, as I think about it more and more, I don't think this is a loss for James Bond. And I don't think this is a loss for Christopher Nolan, because like you said, Jay, since he got, you know, the, the dark Knight trilogy 
out of his system. It's all been um, original IP or like, you know, adapted books like in Oppenheimer's case. And he's just too talented that like, you know, we have so many 007 films and there are so many filmmakers that can pick up the mantle and tell more 007 stories. But Christopher Nolan, I just feel like his place is to be bringing new stories, new characters, new ideas, new techniques. And um, I, I think that's the right fit for everybody. All right. During his recent appearance on the Smartless podcast, director Taika Waititi mentioned that he was not originally interested in doing any Marvel movie, but ended up doing so for the money and to, quote, feed his kids. When he was approached by Marvel Studios, Waititi said that he felt they were combing the bottom of the barrel, but that he was poor and needed the money. YTT made Thor Ragnarok, arguably a favorite in the MCU, and Thor Love and Thunder, which was widely panned by audiences and critics alike. How do we feel about his comments about the Thunder Gods franchise? Yeah, this story I don't necessarily celebrate, but it does make me feel validated because I was talking to the two of you before we started (laughs) recording. I've talked, you know, I've alluded to, as we've done this show, that my particular... Um, affinity for Taika has been kind of waning. He's done a number of great films I really love. I love what we do in the shadows, both the film and the TV series. Ragnarok was great. I really love Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, but, you know, as he's gone on and experienced more success, and I think he's got, you know, gotten a little haughty and a little brazen, which I, I love him for on the one hand, I think he benefits when he has somebody that can kind of put him on a little bit of a leash and rein him in and take his antics and his zaniness and say, okay, that's great, but let's put this through a, a filter that makes it a little more palatable. So in that sense, it's it's tough to know with Taika. Like, is he just, you know, does he know who he is so well that he's just playing into it for the laugh? He knows that these kind of uh, comments and responses are going to generate reactions and he just doesn't care? Or is he really just that tone deaf and ungrateful for the opportunities he's been given? If that's the case, makes me like him even less. But Um, In any sense, it's going to be interesting to see what his opportunities down the road are and what his comments surrounding some of those opportunities are. Yeah, I teach ninth grade. And one (laughs) of the things that I say to my students all the time is sometimes a thought can just be a thought. It does not have to be put out (laughs) into the world. And while can you say that to more than just ninth graders, please? (laughs) That's true. That's true. And uh, you everybody, know, that's good <laughs> advice to all of us. <laughs> and uh, whenever, whenever I hear a comment like this, that's what comes to my mind. Because while this may totally be true, and I totally get it, and I totally understand thinking this is the next leg up for my career, this will open the doors, this will bring in the money, and then from the money I can really launch myself into doing the things I want to do, all of that makes complete sense, and none of us fault him for it. But to say it like this, and to say, well, I did that movie not because I wanted to, not because I had any passion for the character, not because I thought it was a cool story that needed to be told, but to just say, like, I literally just wanted the money, it doesn't play well. And it kind of makes this breakup that we're seeing happening between Taika Waititi and Marvel a little messier than it was. Like, the breakup started when he said in an interview that he was hey, I'm kind of thinking about not directing Thor and I got a bunch of stuff going on and that's that. And then it, um, and it seemed like it was sort of friendly and if they want to go in a different direction, that's not a problem. But then to turn around and say, well, they just paid me good and that's why I did this movie and um, we'll, we're never going to talk again or whatever, it just doesn't look good. So yeah, he needs a, he needs a PR person in his ear, I think, uh, <laughs> is what I'm learning about Taika Waititi. Yeah, I think that, and later in the interview, I think he did express uh, some gratitude, but um, 
I've seen this with a lot of people in Hollywood lately. A lot of young stars in particular have been like, man, yeah, I did this crappy thing on Netflix or whatever, and I wish I hadn't done that. And it's like, you know, I understand, like you're saying, you have to start somewhere. But again, you can say what you want to say without saying it in a way that comes across sounding like this. And I think, you know, Tyke, Taika likes humor and he's a funny guy and maybe I didn't listen to the interview maybe it was a humorously made comment um but of course the internet's gonna take it and make it into something else and so in general it's just it's not looking good and and I wish he would focus you know I've heard him say in a on a panel he wants to focus on telling stories about like his people and and these people that don't get their stories told like I saw um next goal Mm. wins and that's a story that I think he wanted to tell about that American Samoan soccer team. And it was fun. It wasn't amazing, but it was a yeah. fun movie. And it had Michael yeah. Fassbender, and it was great. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I don't know. It's just, um, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, un, kind of ungrateful-seeming world that we're in right Haley, now. I, too, saw Next Goal Wins, and I agree with you. It was, like, a pretty solid movie. But this is not really any spoiling anything. I think you can see it from the marketing in the trailer. But he gives himself that gratuitous cameo, and it's like, was that necessary? Did you have to do that? Yeah. And that was the part it was like, my, I just rolled my eyes so hard. And it was just like, this film would have benefited if you just had the self-control not to insert yourself in this like completely irreverent sense. Yeah. Anyway. I do look forward to his Star I do Wars too. movie. I think his episode of The Mandalorian was great. I think he'll be great. Yeah. yeah. I just, yeah, it it's was. just, uh, it's interesting that people... I feel like they're just kind of playing fast and loose with their with their words these days, and words can always come back to haunt Marvel's you. on the way out, mate. I can say whatever I want here. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> man. Okay. Okay, and let's take a moment to pause for an ad break. All right, next up, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes took the number one spot at the box office over Thanksgiving weekend, earning $42 million over the five-day run. Napoleon and Disney's 100th film, Wish, took a close second and third, with Napoleon earning $32.5 million domestically and $78.8 million worldwide, and Wish taking home $31.7 million domestically and $49 million worldwide. Overall ticket sales for the Thanksgiving holiday came in at an estimated $173.9 $173.9 million, which is the best post-pandemic for the holiday, besting 2022's $134 million, but still far off from pre-pandemic Thanksgiving moviegoing, with 2019 having racked up $263.4 million. Seems like audiences were hungry for the box office this Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, I thought these numbers were interesting. I mean, we talked about Hunger Games last week having a pretty muted debut, but being on a $100 million budget, a $40 million opening weekend is pretty solid um, domestically. So to see it not drop off that much, I think it was about a 35% drop off or so, that's pretty strong uh, for that movie. And I think it sort of signals that we'll probably see more Hunger Games movies in the future. Um, Looking at the numbers overall, what I think is interesting is just the Thanksgiving five-day run in general. Uh, This is our best post-pandemic Thanksgiving, but still, when you look at pre-pandemic Thanksgiving, 
it's not really there yet, right? So like like you said, Jay Scotty, t- 2019, 263.4 million compared to 173.9 million this Thanksgiving. Right. That is a huge gap uh, that we're looking mm-hmm. at. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, a lot of which we've talked about on this show, a lot of which are obvious and a lot of which are nuanced. Uh, you know, everything from the economy to the pandemic changing people's viewing habits to um, these three movies I personally don't think having super strong wide appeal uh, like other Thanksgiving movies have had in the past. Uh, Disney has usually dominated this weekend and um, they you know, I, we'll, we'll talk about Wish a little bit later, but I don't think Wish had the same appeal as some of the other ones. Uh, one of those years was Frozen, and <laughs> Frozen itself racked up like mm-hmm. over a hundred million or something over that mm-hmm. round, over right. that run. So, you know, ultimately speaking here, um, that combined with like people upgrading their own viewing experience at home and catching movies on streaming instead of going to theaters, all of these factors have combined to seeing. Um, a much lower pre-pandemic box office here, um, com- or well, post-pandemic box office compared to pre-pandemic box box office. So I think that's the interesting trend here. Um, I'm hoping that this is a trend that will continue, that it will continue to rise. We'll continue to see people going back to the theaters. This is uh, something that all of us want to see. Uh, we want to see the film and the theater experience grow and get back to what it was but I don't know what our ceiling looks like on that. Um, but, uh, but what I hope is that over the years, this Thanksgiving week can just continue to grow and become a movie experience type thing. But I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I remember like going to a movie on Thanksgiving used to be, it was part of the experience. Like, you know, you'd, you'd go Black Friday shopping, you go see a movie, or you go Thursday after dinner, you go see a movie. Like, it seems like that's kind of died, unfortunately. Mm. The movie we don't have in here is Trolls Band Together, which <laughs> brought in like has brought in $65 million. I think that was the Thanksgiving movie this year because my husband and I went to see Next Goal Wins on Thanksgiving mm. evening. And the theater was packed, but it was a lot of families. And I just have to think a lot of them were going to Trolls. Yeah, you got to think Wish and Trolls kind of cannibalized each other a little bit. Like that, that was, mm. they're probably trying to capture the same trolls audience. I think Trolls had a higher, like, yeah. yeah, but I think they had, it has a more popular in this box office, yeah. I think yeah, it was more I wouldn't popular. be surprised, which just like really speaks to how much Disney is struggling this year. Like I talked about Hunger Games last week, so I, I'll just say like I'm. It excites me to see that the movie is doing well and and picking up steam because it was a solid movie and I think it deserves to be rewarded. But yeah, um, you know, you talk about the disparity between 2019 and 2023, and like again, I don't want to be doom and gloom or like you know celebrating anybody's loss here, but you know, you I I do hone in on on Disney. Like this was. Their, uh, I, we're going to talk about more about Wish specifically later, but the fact that this was their 100th film, and like you're saying, Haley, a DreamWorks movie potentially did better than it. And then, like, yeah, in 2019, I think Disney had seven movies that grossed a, a billion dollars. One of them was like Frozen 2, which uh, I think you alluded to there, Jay. But uh, again, like, I like the Marvels, so I don't want to say anything negative about the Marvels. I do think it's getting unfair treatment at the box office, but the fact that we had, you know, so much going on in 2019 and then now we're here in 2023 and who thought the day would come when a Marvel Studios film has like the lowest second weekend box office for any comic book superhero movie. That's including Morbius. It's like, whew, the times they are a changing. Yeah. yeah. Without saying too much about Wish until later, this is going to be the first year in a long time that Disney won't have a billion dollar movie exactly. in the box office. Yeah. 
All right, so moving over to a little Scream news. Scream 7 had some hard hits in the last week. Spyglass fired Melissa Barrera, who starred as Sam Carpenter in the sixth installment, after Barrera came under fire about social media posts regarding the Israel-Hamas war. Within one day, co-star Jenna Ortega dropped out of the film, though Spyglass reports it has everything to do with scheduling issues for Wednesday and nothing to do with Barrera's firing. The studio lost franchise star Neve Campbell for Scream 6 after refusing to agree to her pay request. Are these issues going to be a knife to the heart for the horror franchise? Spyglass can spin the story however they want to, but none of us are ignorant to the fact that like Jenna Ortega <laughs> obviously left this film in response to her co-star Melissa Barrera being fired. And I love the Scream franchise, but it is one of those franchises that's becoming a little increasingly difficult to, to get down with, especially the way they're treating the talent behind the scenes. Like Nev Campbell, like they didn't even bring her back for Scream 6 because they didn't want to pay her enough. And like now looking at Scream 7, they're going to like somebody is, you know, kicking themselves for not giving Nev Campbell what she wanted because now they're going to have to go back and basically beg her to come back. But uh, this is just, you know, an unfortunate situation all around um, in terms of, you know, the Israel Hamas situation. I don't really want to speak to that because I can't speak to that with any kind of real knowledge or experience. But I will just say, you know, um, my personal belief that is, you know, when one person begets an act of violence with another, it just perpetuates a cycle that I, I think humanity has been on for a really long time. So that's all I'll say about that. But people should have, you know, the opportunity to express their beliefs. And yeah, we have freedom of speech, but not freedom of consequences. But I, I just do think this is a, a bad look in a really prickly si situation. Um, and I, you know, as unfortunate as it is, I, I do have some optimism that uh, things will turn around. The director that's attached to this uh, this latest installment of Scream, he did the Happy Death Day movies, which I really liked. So I do think there's uh, an avenue and an opportunity for Scream to turn things around here. But uh, at this point, it's kind of tough to, to see how that's going to happen unless they uh, backtrack on some of these decisions they've made as of late. Yeah, I mean, Jenna Ortega is the draw for a lot of this. I mean, she is the face of this of Wednesday and these different, she's going to be in Beetlejuice. Like she's kind of got that horror sort of corner that she's carved out. And so to market scream seven around someone like her, that's a big opportunity uh, for that movie. So that's a huge loss uh, losing someone who's kind of on the rise to fame. Like she is right now, especially in that corner of, of Hollywood of horror. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's going to hurt uh, when they come to finally make this movie and then try to convince people to go see it. Uh, this will follow it. These types of stories will follow it. And ultimately, that's probably not going to be good for the marketing and the promotional of the movie. Okay. Marvel Studios rising star Michael Waldron was announced to pin Avengers Kang Dynasty. Waldron has been collecting MCU writing credits like Pokemon, starting <laughs> with Loki Season 1, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, and he was already set to write Avengers Secret Wars as well. The news is somewhat of a surprise with the uncertainty of Jonathan Major's ability to continue in the role of King. Sounds like all possibilities are still on the multiversal table, or do we think differently? As far as uh, you know, all possibilities still being on the table, uh, I definitely agree with that, especially with Michael Waldron joining the fray here, especially with you know um, some of the creativity he flexed here on the, the most recent season of Loki. So this is a big win for me. This really excites me. Uh, I, Michael Waldron has been one of those people I've kind of like, his name has been coming up more and more and I've really been kind of keeping my eye on him. And, um, you know, as if 
Kang Dynasty is still going to be the name. I'm still kind of dubious about that. Uh, but, you know, they dismissed uh, Jeff Loveness. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton recently left the project. So obviously things are, are being reconfigured here and they're, and they're changing course here. But uh, I do think the addition of one of their kind of like up and coming proven talents here uh, bodes well for me. And, um, like, you know, looking at his, his catalog here, I think, I think this is, this all looks great. I think the one that people may kind of, you know, have some qualms with is multiverse of madness. But I for one enjoy that movie anyway, but I can understand the issues that some people may have with that film, but I don't blame Michael Waldron, Waldron's writing for that. We know how much of a, a victim that film was of the, the kind of assembly line, um, that Marvel studios can be sometimes. So all in all, I I think this is a win. If I remember correctly... He was brought in to completely refigure that to, that script. Like, he completely retooled it. I think that I learned that when I watched The Assembled for okay. Multiverse of Madness, which everybody should watch. It's amazing, uh, the amount of work that went into that film. That goes into all of these projects, but it really gave me a, a greater appreciation mm. for that movie, and I really like it. But I, I think he was, they kind of were like, hey, can you, like, totally redo this? <laughs> and he was like, sure, because what are you going to say to Marvel? No. Uh, no. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do wonder, um, how this affects the content of the movie going forward. Like you kind of alluded to, uh, Jay Scotty, like we speculated on last week's show that potentially all of this could be in flux because, um, you had a director change and you had these movements going on. What if they're going to move away from Kang? What if the Jonathan Majors thing has sort of bubbled over and they're going to take it in a different direction? So, we talked about that last week and uh, what that possibility looks like to come out with this announcement and say we have a writer and the film is called Avengers Kang Dynasty. I guess that signals to me what their plans are. I guess that signals to me that they're planning on still keeping the Kang storyline in some capacity. I mean, who knows what that's going to look like? Uh, I think we still have got a little bit left to play out here to see what the whole Majors connection is or what that is going to going to entail but uh to me that is a vote of confidence in that kang storyline in some some way shape or form here going forward my final thought is kind of unrelated but um as this news has been kind of like circling around i've seen michael waldron's image a lot on the internet and every time i see him and uh for those of you that you know if you're on our youtube you can you can see him in the thumbnail but every time i see him he's just like he looks like tony dalton who was in uh, Breaking Bad, and he was also on Hawkeye. It's just like, he, he looks like Tony Dalton to me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> He's got the, st- the strong mustache, you know, very yeah, strong mustache. Maybe, that, maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to put on his shoulders. Um, they clearly like what he's doing with multiverse stuff, and so it seems like he's the star writer for all things multiverse, and I hope it doesn't burn him out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what you said in that read, like, he's not just doing Kang Dynasty. He's writing Avengers Secret Wars, too. So, I mean, that's like Russo Brothers level uh, Mm -hmm. shouldering that you have to do of a franchise going forward. So that's big. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And our final feature story here. Blue Beetle writer Gareth Dunnett Allosair is slated to write a new spinoff of Amazon's popular show, The Boys, with The Boys Mexico. The new series will be produced by actors Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal, who are partners in their production company La Corriente del Golfo. 
And while both are considering acting in the series, headlining roles are not what the producers are looking to do. The show will be shot on location in Mexico, but other details are not set, such as a budget, showrunner, and the cast. Thoughts on the next expansion of the boys' universe? Yeah, the boys' universe uh, is clearly a priority for Prime going forward. Uh, Gen V, um, I have not caught up on Gen V yet. I'm a little bit behind on the boys' universe, I guess, but all I've heard about Gen V is that it was very positively received from people who follow that franchise and like it. So the fact that that was received very well and it was uh, critically acclaimed, that sort of tells you everything to know, that they're looking to expand this universe, they're looking to tell more stories in the universe. Um, I really like the idea of going outside of the United States in this world and seeing how other cultures and other places would respond to the world that's been created here. Because the world of the boys is very interesting, and there's a lot of commentary that happens in it uh, on the world and on world events. And the idea, and it's been a very, like, America-focused kind of show, and really, like, examining different aspects of American culture and politics and life and media and things like that. So to break out and get into a different place, I think, is exciting. Um, I love Diego Luna. Uh, You may know him as Cassian Andor, Mm -hmm. uh, and then Gal Garcia Bernal. Uh, You may know him as the star of Werewolf by Night. So these are two um, actors that have a lot of a lot of pool and a lot of like um, I, I think it's exciting the that they're behind the the production of this thing. Um, I, I'm kind of picturing like a sort of narcos version type uh, story uh, with uh, the boys kind of like universe set in the background type thing and I think that's really interesting. I'm, I'm excited about that. I think my initial reaction is a uh, one of like slight hesitation and a little bit of fear that like is oversaturation becoming a thing because you know, the boys season four is on the way. We just had Gen V. Now we're doing this other spinoff. They had the animated series, but the more I think about it, the more excited I get about it because of everything that you brought up, Jay. Like I think the reason, you know, the boys is very polarizing. It's not for everybody, but I think the reason that it does resonate with so many people is because it has this unique ability to like hit so many different tones. It's hilarious, but it's also got, you know, a pretty interesting love story. It's got drama, the, the gore and the action, it's all there. So um, in terms of like the politics and like the, you know, the social commentary, I, I'm right there with you, Jay. It would be interesting to take that part of the show and let's see what that looks like in different countries and different parts of the world and how they're interacting. And maybe they have, you know, maybe they have some of the more altruistic heroes out there. Maybe, you know, it is a commentary on some of the decadence of of Western culture in, in America, but maybe people don't want that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what this uh, what this has to uh, to say when it. Did we get any kind of projection about when to expect this? No, no it's okay. it seem it seems like it's just extremely early okay, in production. Cool. You probably won't expect it for a really okay. long time. Well, I guess we don't have to worry there's, about the saturation gen, as much then. Yeah, well, there's a Gen <laughs> V season two um, coming up and a Boys season five, and so yeah, it's it's definitely uh, there's there's a lot happening in that universe. For sure. Okay, and let's pause for another quick break. Okay, next up on the show, we're going to talk about our Spotify poll. So what do we have this week? So we asked, well, Matt asked, and I don't know what he meant by this. (laughs) So we're going to have to figure it out. Make sure you say that this was not all of us. (laughs) We're going to have to figure out what he meant uh, without him here. And we're going to have to figure out what we think the audience meant by how they responded. But the question that he asked was, which host will you pardon this Thanksgiving? All right, so let me tell you the results, and then you can sort of <laughs> react however you feel 
appropriate. So Matt got 25% of the vote. Haley, you got 22% of the vote. I got 18% of the vote. And Scotty, <laughs> you received 33% of the vote, which is the highest total. Oh. So how are we feeling about that? Uh, it's a percentile for every year I've been alive. So I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, no. Does this mean like you get to stay on the island? Like, I yeah, don't like, what, is, what does pardon mean? Are <laughs> we in a corner the of the multiverse where like cannibalism on Thanksgiving is a thing? Are we deciding which one of us is not going to be eaten? Is this like, is this the Hunger Games? Do I get to not participate in the Hunger Games while you guys duke it out? Like what is what is happening here? Or have I done something that people you think know, I need to be pardoned? Did I offend people that I need to be right. pardoned now? Right. So that's the thing. I don't know if you want to win yeah. this or if you want to lose this because a pardon <laughs> would suggest that you've done something that needs to be right. forgiven. Yeah. But if you've also won, that means people are willing to forgive True. you. So I don't know if getting the 33% and me getting the 18%, which is the lowest, I don't know <laughs> if that means that I am the least likable host and they don't want to pardon me, or if it means that I've done the least amount of crimes that need to be pardoned. You know what I mean? So, so I don't know where that puts me. Like I don't know where I stand based on these results. But it yeah, was a race no... all week, by the way. It was going back and forth and back and oh. forth. And Scotty just pulled ahead, just like massive lead there at the end. Just rocketed ahead. Wow. Yeah, there must have been an offline conversation What'd determining do, what this actually <laughs> meant. It's like, okay, we need to get him out of here. <laughs> I wonder if they were taking bets on it. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll have to we'll have to ask Matt uh, next week, and uh, you know, see what's see what's going on. Yeah, there. I'll be curious. Uh, <laughs> we do have some other things to discuss, but real quickly, kind of impromptu, it didn't really fit anywhere else in the news docket. But I just wanted to mention uh, we did get the news that Timothy Oliphant is reuniting with Noah Hawley on the FX Alien series that's in the works, and uh, this really excites me. I'm a massive fan of Noah Hawley. Everything he's done, Legion on FX. Um, Fargo, Fargo season five just started airing and I did the two episode season premiere with uh, John Hamm and out of everything I watched this holiday break, those two episodes were the highlight. I was locked in, uh, just super engaged. Like Noah Hawley just knows how to weave a story with dialogue and cinematography that just does something for me. So looking forward to seeing what he does with the Alien franchise. Mad Men is my favorite show of all time. So if you're telling me John Hamm's going to be in something, I got to go check it out. He's good. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if he's a Dr. Doom, but he's he's good. <laughs> mm, no, I don't like that. <laughs> I love John Hamm. I just don't think yeah, he's Dr. Doom. Same here. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we're going to transition to something a little different for the show. We want to give some love to our Patreons that support us. So how do we how do we want to do this? Yeah, so we um, we do have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash multiverse newscast. So if you're interested in supporting us uh, monthly, that is the place where you can do that. And we've been trying to brainstorm ways that we can get our patrons more involved in the show and make uh, any contribution that they make to the show worth it. And so since this is a light news week, uh, coming off of Thanksgiving, Hollywood sort of grinds to a halt during Thanksgiving week. So there wasn't a ton of news to talk about. So we decided that instead of having a normal lightning round like we normally have, we would let the patrons decide what we talked about. 
uh, on uh, on this section of the show. And so we'll do this from time to time in the future uh, when we have like a really light news week like this. We'll just ask the patrons like serve us up some discussion topics. What do you want to hear us talk about? Doesn't have to be news related specifically. And uh, we'll just kind of treat it like a miniature discussion. So we had three patrons respond and uh, we can just kind of take them one by one if that works for you guys and uh, Mm -hmm. go from there. So the first one that we had came from Jordan Boyd and Jordan Boyd asked this. He said, can you guys dive into slash talk about the box office this past weekend? Crazy that Songbirds and Snakes beat both Napoleon and Wish. Is Wish getting review bombed or is it legit not an awesome movie? Haven't had the chance to see it yet. Thanks for bringing the news every week. So I know you guys have both seen mm-hmm. Wish. I have not. So I think I'm going to defer to you all here to uh, to talk about that. Go ahead, Scotty. You're the animation <laughs> sure, deliberator. Sure. Well, I I do think Wish was enjoyable. It was a solid movie. But as uh, I think it's been a little over a week since I've seen it now, and I have not found myself like reflecting back on it, thinking about it all that much. It's got some great songs. If anything, I found myself like humming like that main theme from uh, Ariana DeBose there. And it, DeBose, I think it's DeBose. DeBose. Anyway, anyway um, <laughs> so like qualitatively, I think this is a. I think it's a lack of marketing. I don't recall seeing any strong marketing campaign for Wish, really. Um, I don't think it was in the zeitgeist. I don't think they were really putting the money behind it to to make people aware about it. Um, but the other part of it is I, I think this is another instance where they're just, it's a good movie. It's a it, it has a nice message, but it never packs that punch. I just think they're playing it too safe by trying to appeal to everyone. They effectively make something that's very like saccharine, and and not a lot of I mean there is substance but it's it's not substantial. I concur. I really liked the trailers for this movie. They got me just really nostalgic feeling and I thought it looked amazing and I thought um the bits of song we did here were amazing. And I can I also concur that the music mm-hmm. was really good. I thought it was um different for a little Disney movie like this and um, everybody did well. I was really impressed with Chris Pine's voice performance. I think he's underrated and he should do more of that because he did a really good job. Um, But when I left the theater and I didn't even stay for the little post-credit scene, I was kind of like, well, all right, cool. It Mm -hmm. was cute, but it wasn't like mind-blowing, which is I kind of wanted it to be. I wanted it to be worthy of that 100th film spot for disney like i would suggest if you like disney and you like animation go see it for sure but yeah nothing that and i so i don't think it's getting bombed i think it just like you said didn't appeal to people in the way they maybe thought that it would and i don't think it's for any particular Mm. reason i think it just didn't yeah I think a lot of the audience has been trained to watch a lot of Disney movies at home, too, ever since Disney Plus uh, became available. I think a lot of families look at the theater experience and they see how fast these movies go to Disney Plus. I mean, we've seen this time and time again with Pixar, like Elemental is a good example. Uh, Elemental did not really have a great theatrical run, but when it hit Disney Plus, it rocketed straight to the top of the streaming charts. Mm. And then people started talking about it and people started saying, oh, this is a great Pixar our movie and the conversation started so i think a lot of these disney movies like this this is a trend that i think probably needs to the the fact that the box office was not very strong i think this is a trend that needs to maybe alarm disney a Mm -hmm. little bit and kind of think about like how do we get our audience back to the theater like how do we get our audience from just thinking when they see a disney preview thinking like 
well, if it's not frozen, like I can just catch this on Disney Plus mm-hmm. in three months and yeah. we'll be good to go and I won't have to pay for the movie ticket for the whole family and everything like that. So I think there's a little bit of that there. I think we'll see that problem with more Disney releases and I think we'll see it with Pixar releases and all of that until maybe audiences can shift their mindset about what they want out of a Disney movie. I think, too, it it didn't... Um it didn't celebrate Disney's 100th enough. Yeah. It's kind of like they either needed to go really hard with like the um, no way home of it all and like really lean into that. Um, what do you call it when you're shoehorning a bunch of oh, fan service stuff? And, uh, fan service. Yeah, I had it before I started talking. Uh, <laughs> they either need to lean really hard into that or not. And they wavered mm-hmm. in the middle. And some of the stuff was really... Um, like you had to really know what you were looking at to know that it was fan service and that it was referring to something. And then some of it was really on the nose. And I was like, it felt very hither thither. And yeah, they just, I don't know. It's just kind of a shame that for your centennial movie during your centennial, I don't know. And it was kind of funny that they leaned really hard into Snow White. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. It was almost like they forewent like character and big like story moments in favor for Easter eggs. But then those Easter eggs were like never all that like impactful. Uh, But Jay, you Mm -hmm. mentioned something about how like Disney has kind of like trained us to like watch these things via streaming on Disney plus. And I, I do think you're absolutely right. And I think that's interesting, but it also makes me think a little bit about Napoleon. And I'm wondering like how much of that is a factor with, with Apple, because like we saw killers of the flower moon come out and I'm wondering how many people were like, okay, Apple, I was willing to, you know, shell out for a three hour movie once for you for a historical epic rather i don't know if i'm going to do that twice and um i'll save the multiverse review for our our history teacher here when he gets a chance to see it but just to give a quick reaction (laughs) i thought napoleon was technically flawless um great performances but whenever vanessa kirby wasn't on the screen or it wasn't one of the large action set pieces set pieces i thought the screenplay was pretty inert and kind of lifeless so i'll be interested to to hear what people's reactions are to this movie as as more people start to to get to see it but i don't think it's going to be as strong as a awards contender as people thought outside of the technical categories except for vanessa kirby yeah disney's in like a weird place like culturally speaking anyway and i don't think it's I think we are seeing that affect its box office a little bit. I mean, it has affected its theme parks and stuff like that. Like Disney is sort of in the crosshairs for certain, like just certain like factions of people politically and stuff like that. And I think that does affect, um, it does affect their, because these, these are people who would have typically gone out and seen a movie and now they're like, well, it's Disney. It's not something I want to go see. So I think that that plays a little bit of a role, but what I'm getting at here is that, all three of these movies, so Hunger Games, Napoleon, and Wish, all three were facing something sure. different. So, like, Hunger Games was facing the fact that it's a franchise. It doesn't have any of the act- actors from the original one, like Jennifer Lawrence, in it. So it has to, like, connect to a franchise that hasn't been on the screen for a while. And people are not super into franchises as they used to be. So it's facing that. Napoleon's facing the fact that it's a th- really long historical epic which just does not appeal to everybody it appeals to a very like specific audience and then wish is facing the fact that it's for it's for families it's for kids those typically don't do well on opening weekend and disney plus movies get streamed really quick and all the things that we've talked about so i think each one of these movies kind of has its own thing that it's fighting and then that just adds up to like a not great box office 
Okay. Mm. Thank you, Jordan, right. for that topic. Yeah. And for being a patron. Of course. Of course. Yes. Yes. All right. So for our second one, all right, we're hearing from Megan Lukowski. And uh, Megan, we love you, but I'm going to cut this down a little bit because this, <laughs> <is very, laughs> this is very long. And I don't know any of these people that you mention or any of these movies you that you You don't know any mentioned. of these people? No, I mean, I know some. Okay. It's just Come on some now. of these okay. names. I'm like, who in the world are we talking about? You're definitely making these names up. Okay. So I'm going to cut out, these people at the end cut out a lot of these names. If I would have just read them, I would have been done by now. But um, okay. So, so here's what she says. She says, we're going to be talking about our Christmas holiday movie viewing experience. But specifically, we're talking like hallmark type christmas movies okay so okay so she says please discuss the holiday movie multiverse we got vanessa hudgens who has been the rising star cream of the crop for quite a few years now uh we also have a few <laughs> other rising I, I don't know about that but we also have a few <laughs> other rising stars creating universes of their own she says please do not forget that mario lopez um, freddie prince jr Lindsay lohan brooke shields melissa joan hart have all been recent holiday stars Please give ample time to discuss one of the greatest romantic comedy holiday films of our generation, The Night, K-N-I-T, Before Christmas, which I'm not familiar with. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's where we're at with that. So I guess when we're thinking <laughs> holiday movies, when we're thinking Hallmark-level you know, I, I don't want to use the word trashy. That's the wrong movie. But like, you know Schultzy, what I mean. The, as, the, yeah. the assembly Schultzy. line. Made for TV. The, the assembly Films. line <laughs> um, building of the movie. The cliche of the, the big city girl who comes to the hometown and meets the guy in the flannel shirt who owns a Christmas tree farm that's failing. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, like that whole thing. Like, what is your all's experience with that world? It's and do we think all these movies exist in the same universe? I guess that's a bigger question. Too. I don't <laughs> I don't have anything to say about these movies. I don't think for one second of my life have I watched anything like this. Um I, I if I'm gonna be snobby about Vanessa Hudgens, and I am, I don't like her, and I <laughs> never have since high school musical. Um so I think she her joins voice the Millie Bobby Brown Club, is what you're saying. Well, um, <laughs> It's for different reasons. Like we had to. It's because it's because I'm a show choir nerd, and like <laughs> I, I hate the way she sings. Um, hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe she's better now. I don't know. I'm never gonna listen to her. <laughs> um, but do they all? Maybe they all exist in the same snow globe, and Ooh. that's where the universe. I like is. that. There we <laughs> go. I love it. Yeah. Uh. I, I guess this is where I have to shine because okay. I always end it, up watching at least two to three of these movies every year. All right. And it always happens one because I end up at an in-laws house and my, um, um, my wife's stepmom watches these religiously. She watches, I, I think she watches every Hallmark Christmas movie. I'm not kidding. And there's like oh, wow. 200 of them. Like she watches all of them. So I always catch at least one at their house every year. So I have, and and it's just you know. I'm Which just, one's your favorite? Well, they're all they've all got such a similar plot that it's hard to <laughs> kind of tell them apart. Yeah. But then I also <laughs> did watch the Lindsay Lohan one last year. Okay, the one that was on Netflix that she probably had a 
four million dollar budget or something total. I mean, it was a very low production it quality. Was her salary. <laughs> but you know, I mean, if you like those kind of movies, it's what everything you want. It's kind of that. I, I think that's why people like these movies. They're just kind of that like cozy Christmas blanket, you know, in the mm-hmm. winter. Like it's you know exactly what to expect. You know exactly what you're looking at. And on some level, I can appreciate that, like a comfort yeah. watch. Sure. You know, you're sitting down and you're oh, saying, yeah. "I know what I'm getting out of this. I'm not here to be wowed." I'm not here to, you know, watch Killers of the Flower Moon or whatever. I'm just here to, like, watch a Christmas movie that I know how it's going to end and it's safe and it's comfortable. So I get that on some level. But, yeah, I I, uh, I guess I've seen the most Hallmark Christmas movies of anyone here is what I'm learning. I, I think that's a pretty low bar because I've not seen <laughs> one either. I, we'll send you an ornament. Really, though, if you've seen one, you really have seen them all. And I don't yeah. mean that as an I don't mean that as an insult. Like if you I, like these movies, like them, right? if you like these movies, you're nodding yeah. your head like, yeah, he's right, yeah. Uh, because they are all the same. They're all extremely similar. But yep. you know, it, yep. it's uh, it is what it is. Not yucking anybody's yum, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm like thinking about like all the dvd covers or the posters that i've seen i'm like they all just are like indiscernible to me they all just start to blur together and it's like stock photos i don't even think they like have plots they go find stock photos and it's like all right how can we make a plot around this stock photo but yeah, anyway it is I'm, like i'm glad that it it's giving people work and giving people that like that something to watch the stock photo thing is great because it is like a stock photo made into a movie. I mean, that's that's the perfect way to describe that's it. It's amazing. <laughs> Which, like, I wouldn't watch these, but I totally read books like this, like romance books. When I'm in a mood to just read something, mm. like, I'll read some silly little romance book. Like, oh, I, I moved back to town and bought my aunt's bookstore and la 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 and the hunky <laughs> farmer dude. Like, I'll read a book like that and don't ask me what the difference is, but I'd rather read it than watch it. <laughs> <laughs> sure oh my big lawyer boyfriend he's he's just he doesn't you know he's just not very kind he's so ambition driven but when i go back to the (laughs) to the small town everybody it's just a family there you know and everybody we should have come up with our own plot to one (laughs) that's what we should have done that should have been the assignment (laughs) (laughs) there's a future segment in there somewhere we might have a a spotify poll in there (laughs) everybody everybody pitches their own uh, hallmark christmas movie you know (laughs) we decide if we would make it yeah like, <laughs> all right. So, I like it. <laughs> all right. So we have one more, and this one comes from Andrew. And Andrew says, could you guys uh, talk about your journey with podcasting and the Stranded Panda Network? I know you guys have been doing it for a while, so it would be interesting to hear how you started, kind of just a timeline of how you've gotten to where you are now, and maybe any plans for the future. So what do you all think? Like uh, short, short uh, history of your time in podcasting? Yeah, I, I, Scotty, you're the reigning like in terms of how long you've been. You wouldn't know it so. by my 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 presence. But Shut <laughs> up. Uh, yeah, so I'll give a quick little rundown here. Um, I'll just you know talk about how I got into podcasting in general. You know, I moved from the East Coast to Southern California in 2015, and uh, had to quickly adjust to like 45 minute bare minimum commutes in the morning. And I've always been a fan of talk radio, but I just got sick and tired of hearing ads all the time. So I was like, all right, podcast or something I've heard about, let me check them out. And then it was off to the races from there. I was pretty much always listening to a podcast anytime that I could. I've uh, been listening to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast since 2016 as an MCU fan. And then, uh, you know, during the pandemic, they started to do their weekly trivia nights on Twitch. I went and checked one of those out. They did the After Dark, the, you know, 
do board games virtually together. Got to meet Matt and Jeff and Ashley and build a rapport with them. Matt invited me onto my first podcast to talk about Man of Steel for Bingers back in 2020. And then, uh, you know, I caught the bug and it was all over from there. I wanted to appear on more. I started my own show with Zuhair on animation deliberation. And here we are. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, similarly. Um, so I'm, I forget what it's called, but I don't like latch on to things that are popular not to sound like um so alternative because I'm really not <laughs> mm-hmm. but I I didn't really understand what podcasts were um until I started listening to MCU cast and I wanted more content after Infinity War which is when they gained a lot of listeners um when we were all in shock and had PTSD after that movie <laughs> right, right. um <laughs> and so kind of the same journey as Scotty in terms of hanging out um Brian Klein and I hit it off became friends and he had wanted to start this reading show for the network and um matt had encouraged that and he he was like working with me i was helping him plan some stuff and he's like why don't you just do this with me and i was like well i don't know anything about that but okay um and brian already had some podcasting history so we started source pages and um it's been great and one of the things when i talk about podcasting to people that i like to talk about is it fulfills a really great creative need Mm. um which i didn't even know i needed but as a formerly creative person who, you know, I did theater and I did choir for a really long time in my life. Um, I didn't know what I was missing. And Source Pages has also really re-sparked, no pun intended, Aww. my <laughs> my <laughs> love it. for reading. Because I, um, I was a huge reader as a kid, like got in trouble in class for reading under the desk and stuff like that. Um, and it's really, Haley, really made that research. another novella you got underneath there? <laughs> I, have, I have a memory from fourth grade, you guys. <laughs> Ooh, she was mad at me. Um, so yeah, it's and it's the other great thing about podcasting, I'll say, um, it's easy to start if it's something yeah, you want to do if that's why you yeah. know part of why this question is being asked and it connects you with people all over the country all over the world um the three of us live in three different time zones mm-hmm. and we're friends yeah. and it's just it's just really cool to think about having any kind of reach much less a global one like it's kind yeah. of daunting if you think about it too long but it's really cool yeah yeah, my my uh, growth into podcasting was um, a lot of stumbling for sure. Um, it was never calculated. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it was uh, just kind of right place, right time, and stumbling into something. And um, I my experience is very similar to you, uh, Scotty. I had a my first job that I got when I was twenty three years old um, was over an hour away from my house, and so I had to commute an hour one way, and then I had to commute an hour home. And so I started, um, I, I listened to sports talk radio and things like that, but that was, um, you know, it's just, it's, it was just kind of getting to the point where I was tired of it and I wanted to hear different Mm -hmm. perspectives. So, um, I started getting into podcasting during that and listening. Um, I started with, um, a lot of informational shows, um, like Freakonomics was an early one for me. Um, Radio Lab by NPR was another one that I, that I latched onto, um, some different like, um, uh, NFL and sports podcasts and things like that uh, were some other ones as well. But um, as I moved into um, about, yeah, it was right around the uh, time of Infinity War, kind of right into that that time period uh, is whenever I 
first stumbled on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, started listening to it, um, joined the the chat and everything like that, and uh, was kind of a lurker for a while uh, in that chat group, and you know listened to the podcast and everything like that. So um, my friend uh, Dave and I, we decided to start commute. We've been friends for um, well over a de- uh, decade plus, and we decided to start commute because we both commuted. Um, long distances and we both listen to podcasts so we started that about two a little over two years ago and um just kind of we're making weekly shows and this was not a this was not involved with the stranded panda network it was just a show that i was making with him and um so we made that show for uh, over a year and um again it just kind of like uh things started snowballing um there was a lot of announcements happening uh, in media at the time, and I was in the Stranded Panda chat, and um, a lot of misinformation was being posted there all the time, and it just drove me crazy. Uh, people were posting things <laughs> like, "Like, oh, did you see that? Yes, uh, you know, this person's been con- Vigo Mortensen's been confirmed to be that? Iron we Man got now." This covered. Yeah, and it's just like, or the, the you know the giant freaking <laughs> robots and the we got this coverage and the you know like the other clickbaity Bleeding sites. Cool and it was, news. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. it was irritating. And uh, so what I st- <laughs> what I started to do um, is um, I I would just kind of compile news. So like if there was a big announcement from Disney or something like that, I would just kind of compile all the legit news about it into one post and then just post it in the chat and say like, here's everything that was announced at this thing. You know, like today when they made all those Marvel announcements. This is all of it in one place, and it's all verified, and you can trust it all. Um, and so I did that for a little while, and it was just kind of a way of like me solving a perceived problem, which was that people were just you know throwing whatever out there. And um, <clears throat> it was sometime around uh, when The Last of Us was uh, was getting ready to hit HBO that I. Uh, reached out to Matt and just kind of said, "Hey, are you guys planning on covering The Last of Us? I think you should. If you are, if you're think, if you are looking for something to cover on uh, your show, Pandavision, I think The Last of Us would be really great." And he just kind of was like, "Sure, you want to do it?" And um, so we, you know, I jumped at the opportunity and we covered that show. And uh, we would just kind of talk a little bit after our recordings about news and things like that and he would kind of ask me a little bit about marvel news and we would just kind of talk a little bit and then that idea of multiverse news was kind of born and uh it just kind of fell fell into it and uh yeah and like you said Haley, i echo everything you said like that was uh the the amount of reach and the connections that you form from doing something the the only thing i've noticed about podcasting is that 99 percent of the people that do it are very helpful they want you to be successful they want you to, to do your thing to make your project to say what you want to say to the world um, to record it and let people hear it so it's a powerful medium that we have uh, in today's world um, there's a lot of tools that make it very easy you know we use spotify for podcasters here and it's a, that's an easy tool. Um, there's a lot of other tools that you can use, but like you have a voice and you can put it out there and people can listen to it and uh, you have that power. So um, it's a very cool connective thing. And I think what makes it so powerful and cool is like, like you all said, like we, we would never have met if not for this type of medium. And so it's cool that we get to bond over something that we all like and we get to talk about it and then share that experience with other people. So that's a powerful thing. Yeah. On that note, those that aren't aware, if, if you don't know what the like the idea behind Stranded Panda is, it, it's that it's the fact that like we are these unique, endangered species and individuals that are, you know, even though our physical distance may be miles and miles apart, our passions are what connect us. So. 
if you ever wondered, now you know. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't get shared that often. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, questions yeah. from our awesome patrons. Yeah, yeah, that was Megan. Thank you for your Megan, uh, question yep. and, Jordan. and for being a patron. And then Jordan. We had two Jordans. Jordan. Jordan and Andrew. Andrew, okay, cool. Yep, and if you're interested, you know, next time, uh, I'm not sure when we'll do this again, where the patrons can suggest topics. I think it'll just kind of be when we have light news weeks, uh, which is unpredictable, but um, if you're interested in being involved over there, you know, check out our Patreon. Uh, check out our, um, if you subscribe to us somewhere on Spotify or Apple or something like that, like throw us a five-star review if you haven't already. And, um, you know, those are tangible ways you can support the show. Indeed. All right. Well, I think it is that time. So let us uh, mosey on out of here. But before we do that, let's let the people know what we have going on elsewhere. Jay, why don't you go ahead and let us know what you got going on? Yeah. So I uh, am a co-host of Commute the Podcast, where you can come learn um, three interesting things in 20 minutes. Perfect for your ride to work. And we drop new episodes on Monday morning. So come hang out with us at Commute the Podcast. And Haley. Yes, over on Source Pages, we just dropped our first episode of Sacred Jedi Texts, where we're going to pick and choose Star Wars books to read and discuss with James Hewings and Todd Sedlek, sorry, Todd, um, along with Brian and I. And so we did Revan first, which is a Legends novel, um, just in time for the MCU drought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, speaking of droughts or lack thereof, over on Animation Deliberation, where you can find me, we have no lack of content. Um, you know, <laughs> Blue-Eyed Samurai, I'm hearing wonderful things about, so I want to check that out. Scott Pilgrim takes off. Invincible Season 2 just hit its mid-season finale. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a great time to be a fan of animation. We're, uh, we're living it up over there at Animation Deliberation, wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Matthew Carroll, peace. And <laughs> you stay classy, multiverse.